0: Bye. Um...
1: welcome back to the hustle it's John Lamoureux okay this week we have a very special classic rock twofer for you I'll tell you about part two when we get there but these two guys combined have almost a hundred years of rock experience under their belts literally like 90 85 90 95 years worth of rock so first up is Nazareth bassist Pete Agnew now Pete Unfortunately today is the last surviving original member of Nazareth. But the band is still going strong. Pete and his cohorts even put out a new album a couple of months ago called Surviving the Law, which is excellent. And this is a really interesting conversation. I get him as much I didn't get him for as long as I was hoping for, but it's still a worthwhile conversation because what we learn is Again, the impact that the lockdown and COVID had on touring musicians. I mean, it's a story you've heard, but the reality of it, I feel like Pete really illustrates what that is like. And things seem to be getting better now. I've been going back to a lot of concerts lately, but um, it's still not 100% out of the woods. And so Pete uh, uh, sort of paints that picture for you really well. It's also something that has been sort of you know, a a good and bad thing almost in a lot of ways for Nazareth all this time, is that they have had sporadic pockets of success in different parts of the world. So a song will hit really big in Germany, but nowhere else, or it'll hit really big in Asia, but nowhere else, or South America and nowhere else. And having to sort of plan for that, or work around that, or, you know, play off of that whatever it might be is really difficult but Nazareth has managed to figure that out and do it all this time anyway Pete's the best and if you didn't know Pete lives in Dunfermline Scotland which is where our buddy Yan the man is from so if nothing else I want to make sure that I did this interview for Yan because Yan and his family and his friends and Pete's family and friends and whatnot go way 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 back so anyway that's what we got first up. I'll tell you about John Payne from Asia when we're done. Pete called me from his home, as I said, in Dunfermline. Okay, first and foremost, I got to tell you, Pete, one of the reasons why I'm really excited for this to happen, and one of the reasons why I've been wanting to do this for a long time, I do the, I've do. i been doing this podcast for years with a good friend of mine who lives in Dunfermline. and. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we've been, our families have been friends for 30 years. In fact, a few, about three or four years ago, I went out to Dunfermline to visit. We went and saw, uh, Alice Cooper in concert at the Hydro and he was showing, taking me around Dunfermline. And, and in fact, in the, uh, the local library has like a museum part to it. Oh, right.
2: Right. That's right. And there's yeah, some yeah.
1: Nazareth stuff in there. Right. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're the hometown heroes.
2: You guys in Big Country are like the hometown heroes. That's right. There was there was Andrew Carnegie. Then there was you know Nazareth, and then there was Big Country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, right. there stood on, yeah. Another one from here is uh, Barbara Dixon. She's she. I don't know. She's so well known in America, but she's big over her. here. And okay. the other one was uh, what's his name? Ian Anderson was born here. Ian Anderson. Really? And I think called. I do that too. He, he, He's been on here a few he times. Yep. Yeah, he was born and he was born in Dunfilm. But okay. And he's, you know. yeah. So yeah, yeah. So fame a famous we tune.
1: That's right. <laughs> so yeah, you and I have actually a little bit of a connection. And um, in fact, oh, my right. my producer, uh, he has he's been telling me for years, he's got family members that have gone to went to school with you guys or know some of the roadies or managers or whatever. Anyway, there's all these inter there's all this interconnectedness and it's been there for years. Um, So anyway, I thought this was fun. I've been wanting to do this for a while and the new album is a great excuse to do that. I have to, so I love the new album. And when I listen to it, just the name alone, surviving the law, I have to wonder if there is, (laughs) if there are some political statements, about maybe the, the, the current state of the world coming out in some of these songs, especially like Strange Days. time i hear uh carl sing my heroes are leaving me i it kind of yeah. breaks my heart because i'm imagining all the people we've lost not just from covid but just rock stars over the years and stuff
2: yeah, yeah well, well it was lee. lee wrote that song oh it okay wrote the song. i love it and he's a bit he's an excellent lyricist he's a very very good lyricist he does about five of the songs on the album and he always has great very interesting songs And you know you know survive that one that track is uh, it's about several different. It depends who you're looking at. It's about several different people. The sort of the idiot and the bad guy could be any any amount of people, from Donald Trump all the way down. You know, mm-hmm. and the heroes are leaving me as a lot to do. Well, there's people that people that we've lost as well. You know, yeah. that just generally just lost and guys from guys from the. The band and the crew and stuff like that, you know, that, that Lee grew up with, you know, when he was a when he was a boy, and these were all the people that he looked up to, you know. So there's a lot, there's a lot of there's a political stuff in it as well, but um, there's a lot of personal stuff in it as well.
1: Okay, but in that
2: song, you know,
1: yeah, when yeah, I and mean, the there's like waiting for the world to end. When it's all
3: come
1: I think, aren't we, aren't we all kind of in that frame of mind these days too?
2: Like, what is happening? Absolutely. That was Jimmy wrote that one. And when he wrote that, I mean, that was right at the beginning of the pandemic, you know. So, you know, albums that are coming out just now, uh, are are all going to be you know the fruits of things that were written over that last couple of years, and I, I, I suppose just about every record that's come out has got something to do with the pandemic on it. Someplace so you know true. you can't so help true. it if you're writing about your life. You know, so, so that one's true. definitely that was definitely that just it's right in your face uh, yeah. waiting for the world to end. It's funny that's the one. Today, you know, when, when we actually released the album, Today, this is... This is so, Today's the day. I mean, That's this, right. I know this is going to be later when we're talking, you know, but mm-hmm. Today is like, uh, it, was, it was released and, and um, officially. And of course, uh, they always put, you know, they put a track out, two. So I, think, I think two months ago, they put out that one you're talking about, Strange Days. Mm-hmm. And then they put out Runaway the next month. And, and then this month, Today, The one that they're sort of pushing is uh, waiting for the multi end, funny enough. And that just went straight into Spotify, like the top 10 there, right? You know, just uh, right away. So you don't go into chaps anymore. You go into Spotify. You know, (laughs) that's it. That's it. Yeah. When you, I mean,
1: you've been at this for 54 years, I think. I mean, is there part of you that would rather just go golf at St. Andrews at this point? Or are you just still feeling just as hungry as ever to keep you know the heavy the Nazareth heavy metal going
2: well if you saw me playing golf you would um, <laughs> definitely think that I'm in the right place and I only <laughs> ever played I only, I only ever played at St Andrews once and uh, uh, actually it was a big thrill, but um uh-huh. actually it's probably one of the one of the best rounds I ever had no I don't think you know we've never we've never had really time for uh, i never really had time for what you call hobbies because we're always a a touring mm-hmm. a very heavily touring band you know through our whole lives and uh, I, the only thing we did when we got back it was mainly relaxation you know time off was 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 uh, was great it was <laughs> there wasn't a lot of it so you yeah. used to grab it you know i just spend it with the families and stuff you know so I, there's no i can't imagine I can't imagine doing anything else, you know. This is yeah. what I do. This is what I do. And I'm a musician. The thing is with I think everybody if you just take a look around and just see the, the, the ages of all the bands and stuff as well, musicians don't retire. They die, you know, but but they don't they, they don't actually retire because it's a bit like the the, the old, the old boxers, you know, they all want to come back because they really miss it that much. Well, the thing is, they get their head kicked in. We don't get that, you know. We, yeah, we can come back safely, you know. We don't just, we just don't come back. We don't go away. Yeah. So um, I can't imagine. I really can't imagine doing anything. The last two years uh, has been absolutely awful because of this, having all these, you know, the restrictions and not having any shows anywhere. I mean, every time we got to. Around half past eight every night, you know, around about that time every night, you start pacing the floor. You know, you think you you should be somewhere else. That your your yeah. body's just telling you, you know, you should be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So it was it was it was sorely missed. not not touring. At first, actually, to tell you the truth, the first few months I quite enjoyed it. You know, I was saying oh this is goodness, you know, and it was great when you were stuck in because nobody could come and bother you. You know, so it was uh, yeah. it was quite. Nice. And then it became. Very, very boring. (laughs) I bet. Time to to get back to work, you know. So what's the plan
1: now? I mean, are you guys, things are starting to open back up. Are you able to go back out on the road? And when you do, what does Nazareth do? I'm imagining a lot of shows primarily in Europe,
2: but what's the schedule? What's the plan? Well, right now, um, uh, I should have come back now. I should have finished in Kiev and Ukraine three days ago. Really? From a big, long, a long Russian and Ukraine tour that we had. Oh, wow. We should have been playing. We should have started off in Moscow in February. That was cancelled because of the pandemic. But we did uh, Moscow, and Ufa. Those three were cancelled. Then, the end of the month, we were starting in March, a whole tour of Russia, oh, 14 shows. <laughs> and then we the last one was in St. Petersburg. Then we were to come down to Kiev uh, last week, then to Kharkiv. Uh, and then on to Zaporizhia. So these three places, as you've seen in the news a lot, you know the reasons that we weren't in any of those places in the last. So that was cancelled. Uh, we would have just been coming back from that tour. Now, earlier on in the year that we had other tours, they all cancelled again because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Things now are still, are still strange, you see, because what happened is they're now, you know, the dates are starting to happen now. But what was happening, we were putting up dates all last year and having to cancel them and take them off the website, take them down, take them off your, your date sheet, uh, give, give, get people trying to get their money back from, you know, things. It was terrible. It was awful. So people are a wee bit nervous about buying tickets even yet, you know. So what's happened is we really don't start. I've done... I did two shows this year, that's all, right at the very beginning of the year, two wee festivals in in January in Britain, and nothing else because there's nothing else, nothing else was on. It's starting to come back. There's still restrictions in Europe, in mainland Europe, and that's where we play a lot. We never play in the UK, and we'll hardly ever play in the UK. So Germany's a lot for us. Scandinavia, I've got a big tour. I've got a tour in Norway, a tour of Sweden coming up, uh, in Norway all through June, we've got Sweden in September, we've got a Canada in August, all the whole of August. Uh then we've got Germany and uh and Switzerland and Czech Republic. Um quite a lot, quite a lot coming up. Till the end of the year. We do a big European tour in 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 uh November, December. And I like I said that's mainly Germany, because that's the main big country, the big rock country, you know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we play all over the place. I mean, generally we're down in Brazil. Uh, in South America, but again, that's been hit really bad with the. So there was no going there, you know. It was hit bad with the plague. Yeah. So it's been it's a bit it's been a bit strange, all around. and things are going to take time to get back. I know that over in the states, you guys are back getting pretty well back to normal now. Starting but it's to, not, uh, but it's not it's not quite reached that. Mm. It is isn't it isn't, you know. Here, you see some things going on. I've got I've got friends that are going out, guys that would normally sell. Let's say a band magnum would normally go, they would maybe do right off when they were advertising a tour that was coming up in say a month's time, they'd be doing maybe about a thousand tickets, mm. uh, you know, before we going. Well, they, just last week they, they were doing 20 tickets for a show, you know, mm. because people are just nervous, you know, yeah. they're just. They, you know, they yeah. kind of want to see that the shows on that night and they'll they'll come along you know so yeah so, so that's not that's not very good for promoters you know when a promoter's want to put someone on they get very nervous when they don't sell tickets you know and you can't blame them you know
1: yeah 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 i i haven't fully got i've been to some shows but for the most part i'm not buying a lot of concert tickets because Everything, half the stuff I plan to go to ends up getting cancelled for some reason or another. That's
2: that's, that's that it's happened. By the way, I mean, I I was yeah. putting... in twenty twenty. We all thought it was going to be over by the end of that year, didn't we? And of course, yeah. we put, we put all the shows to the end of the year. Had to cancel yeah. them. Put them to the beginning of twenty twenty one. Had to cancel all them. We put them to the end of twenty twenty one. Had to cancel all them. So yeah. it just got stupid just putting them up, you know. I just yeah. and, and people were. Yeah, people just didn't didn't want to buy it. and I don't blame them. I wouldn't have bought a ticket. I wouldn't have bought a ticket for anything. Yeah.
1: Know? Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. Okay. We try to sensitively cover some of the business side of things on here. Um with a song, I mean, does do do the Nazareth Nazareth hits like Hair of the Dog and and uh Love Hurts and stuff like that? Does the mailbox money from that and your fifty-four years of touring is that You're able, I would imagine, to sustain yourself for these last couple of years.
2: Absolutely not. And if you ask anybody that's in this business, if they're telling you that they're making money off record royalties, they're lying. There's no such thing anymore. People, uh, our album came out today. Everybody could listen to it yesterday on YouTube for free, the whole album, right? They can hear any track they want now, any track you want. You can hear any song in the world you want. Just go to Safari or to Google, put it up, and it'll play for you. Mm -hmm. So... Record sales are a complete joke now. You know what the um, the record company now the record companies are they get in touch with me today to celebrate really to say listen this is fantastic. Well, we, you know Spotify have been great on this album. They picked up the the first two tracks. They gave it great. but well, this they're, they're, they're celebrating a, a streaming platform that where we get where we get paid next to nothing. From, yeah, you know. Yeah. So so uh, things have changed. No, you couldn't absolutely not, you couldn't exist on record royalties. Because mm. record, I mean, I'll give you an example. They had, um, I think it was just, Bob Dylan brought out that thing, that album, was it last year? Or they, uh, you know, they were, they were talking about, it was a great big noise in the press about, mm. isn't this fantastic? An 80-year-old man has brought out an album with all original material, new material, which was fantastic, no, no an copy, it, and it went to number one, right? Incredible, and it sold something like thirty-eight thousand copies. Thirty-eight thousand copies. Wow. Are you couldn't. Now, when we, when we had, when we were doing here on the dog, you had to be doing thirty-eight thousand copies a day. Yes. Right, to get yes. in the top quality, <laughs> you know. Yes. So you know, there's no such thing. I mean, yeah. you know, you don't have record stores anymore. There's just, they're just no such thing. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, it's only the really, really big fans that will end. Um, They'll pick up your, your records, you know, to, with the, and they want to read the booklet and right. see the sleeve. Most people have just get it on their iPod or whatever it is that they do these days. Uh, yeah, I did, and they can get it for free. You can, yeah. you know, so you get it for nothing. So what do you go? Yeah. So yeah, that's why that's why I'm, that's why touring is so important. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, if there's any band in the world that should be able to lie back and not worry about royalties, is the Rolling Stones. And, I mean. They're, they're on the road. You know, yeah, they're touring. You they know. still do it, don't they? Those guys, are old, those guys are older than me. You know, yeah, and they're still That's touring. true. <laughs> so that's you've, true. you've got to, <laughs> you've got yeah. to actually, if you want to make if you want to make a living at this, you've got yeah. to be touring. That's as simple as that.
1: I get it. Okay, so I am curious now. Obviously, the the pivotal. So the, I see there being like a, two or three different pillars in the Nazareth story. First of all, Roger Glover comes along and he sort of steers you guys or convinces you to kind of go more into this heavy metal, hard rock sound with like "Razamanaz," which is such a great song. And he sort of builds the foundation of what we know of as Nazareth. And then Hera the Dog comes out, and it's the it's the big one. That's the one that you're dining off of for a while. It's got the hits and everything. Yeah. But after that, the next couple of albums get a little artier. They're a little more obscure, you know? They're not the straightforward sound that you had been getting, not entirely from those earlier ones. And I was wondering why. What was the decision at that point? Did you think? Now that we have some success, let's go a completely different direction.
2: No, just no. We didn't feel as if we were going in a completely different direction because okay. we were fairly directionless anyway. We've we've always tried to make sure that the next album doesn't sound like the one before.
4: Good point. The two that
2: the, the two that sounded the closest to, to each other was Rasmanaz and Loud and Proud. And that's because they were done within six months of each other. And it was like, it was like a uh, part two almost. And that's the closest two albums we've ever done. And that was We Roger as well. Then by the time we did Rampant, that had a different, that had a different noise, had a different, that different sound in that. Then when we got to hear of the Dog, that's when Manny started uh, producing and we were, that um, was just, we didn't aim for any, that's the sound we just got that day, you know, that, that time. The, that's the studio we were in, and that was the, the, the sounds that he liked to get, basically, in production. The the next album, uh, closing off the Rock and Roll, sounded com- completely different from that one, and the next one from that sounded different from that one. So we've always had that all the way along. When we did Malice in Wonderland, for instance, with Jeff Baxter, Malice in Wonderland in the full circle, we had Jeff Baxter, who was with the Doobie Brothers and... Um, Steely dance. So you can hear the production, the West Coast yeah. sort of yeah. American thing, the influence of that as well on those albums. Mm-hmm. I think um, the albums, we don't go in with any any preconceived, let's get this, this sound. We just see, see what it sounds like when we get in there. And the other thing is, we always, we always, always say we get the sound for the song, no, yeah. not for an album. Yeah. We never get the sound, you know, we, what does this song need? You know, so if we did... Like on Rampant we did sunshine. You know, that that was a, like, very, so this is a sound you're looking for, you know? But then we did Shapes of Things, which is a completely different noise, but on the same album. Well, it's the same, it's right up until, to these days, it's the same, it's the same sort of way we work. You know, is how to, how do you want us? As what's the best sound and the best production for that Very particular true. song? From that Very song, true. you know? So the, that's, um, what, that's, what, that's the way we work it. So if albums, I mean, if albums sound different from each other, well, that's good because we want that anyway. You know. You see, when somebody said some of the ones we get, you know, I've got to say, we all kind of look at each other when somebody says, "Well, it's not got the Nazareth sound," and we say, "Well, what's what, <laughs> what, is, what the is the Nazareth, the Nazareth sound?" wasn't the sound, you know? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I mean, even when we had, you know, the main thing that you can always pick out is, is when we your leads vocalist, you know, and Dan was around on all those albums. But the thing is, Dan had several different voices as well. You know, yeah. he could he could give you that rip-roaring, you know, screaming rocking thing, but he could do very, very soft things like Moonlight Eyes and things like Sunshine and things like that. So he had that... Yeah, it's it, quite a formidable voice and the, the different sounds, you know, sometimes you'd listen to it and people didn't know it was him, you know, just the good way he, that he was singing it. So I don't think we really had the Nazareth sound, you know. That's a good point. Um, one, Um I
1: think one of the special songs in your catalogue is Holiday, and uh, that's, yeah. a junk, that's a Skunk Baxter production. What in the world is going on in that song? I pulled up the lyrics just to even make sure that I have them right, because I want to read them back to you. Mama, mama, please, no more facelifts. I just don't know which one you is. Mama, mama, please, no more husbands. I don't know who my daddy is. What What are you saying in this? It's. I mean, that's what's fun about this song. It feels like a rant of thoughts that are just out of
2: nowhere. It was like basically it was a song about the rich kids of Hollywood, you know, just lying around the floor. It was like it was a thing about, you know, when when it started Actually, when we started writing that song, that we actually I remember sitting on the floor of somebody's apartment in Hong Kong, and Dan and I were singing the uh, drinking my wine that 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 chorus-y part, and then that went and it was. Later when we went to do that the album, that the whole band got together and we started doing holiday. And the lyrics that we did were actually written kind of in the studio, you know, when we were in the Bahamas, we were writing the, the lyrics. And that whole thing about you know I don't know who my daddy is, no more facelifts, you know because and the, you know the the pool man's party, you know that kind of thing. It was all to do with the, the, the sort of idle rich, the the bored kids, you know, like I, I don't want to be a pop star, but you know, but they're they're, they're they're so rotten with money they don't know what to do with it, kind of thing, you know. They're going to have me a holiday, and it was weird because you know that that song was one of the, uh, we always sort of count it as the one that got away, because yeah when that, you know, A&M released that as a single, but you couldn't buy it, the biggest complaint we got from Liverpool, you couldn't buy it in the stores. It never, ever, you could not get it to the stores. I don't know what happened at the time, but it got so much play. And it's what people, you know, that we used to say it's a radio hit. In other words, it's not going in your bank, but it's a radio hit. You know? And it's one of the things, it's one of the, I mean, it never was really, it, it never really charted that high because it, it didn't actually sell, you know, physically, you know, hard copy and sell. But it was such a popular song. And when we come, every, well, any time we toured the States, that was always the one of the first requests. You know, you got oh, really? the dog. oh, good, you know, okay. You know, and that was one of the ones that people used to always request. And it was the one that they knew the, the Mama Mama Please thing, you know, the 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 chorus. And and fight. In fact, we still—it's one of these ones that in and out of set all the time. You know, when we're playing live, we play it for a couple of years, and then we dump it for a few years, and then we bring it back in. And I think it's just about time for it to come back in again. Actually. definitely,
1: I would agree. <laughs> Speaking of songs, I'd like to see come back in. Not that I've never seen you live, and if—and since I'm in the states, I don't know when I would. To be honest, maybe next time I'm in Dunfermline.
2: Um, well, we're if- home to come over. We're home to come over next year, and we were actually supposed to play in Denver. But, and, uh, really. And, um, and 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 2020, what was it in May well, when this yeah. one were had to close down. So who knows? Okay. Who knows?
1: Hopefully it happens. Okay, I one of my I, maybe my favorite Nazareth song of of all is "Expect No Mercy." the reasons is because it it sounds like what a lot of rock bands are doing at that time which is they're trying to they're trying to mix a little bit of disco into their rock and roll that's what it sounds like to me anyway you know and uh i was wondering if that's kind of if that was kind of the thinking behind that song like guys disco is happening right now we're a hard rock band kiss is doing it the stones are doing it let's find a way to just get a little bit of a disco beat in one of our songs
2: I, well, you know, I don't know if we were thinking. I, I mean, really? I, I think what ha- I think what happens is influences. You get influence and things rub off on you. Whether you, whether you actually say, you know, right. think it, let's do it like that. So, and no, no, we never actually said so that. It was just a jam, really. We were yeah. up in Les, in Les studio in Modern Heights in Quebec, and it was just we had a we, we when we arrived to do that album. You Know that we just finished close enough for rock and roll there just, just before about nine months before we went, uh, we went up to do the next album. And the engineer says to okay, look, can we hear the songs? And we said, run the half inch tape, pal. We're going in there for a few days to see what we can do. <laughs> so we went and and we were jamming, and that was one the the sort of backing track, you know, that, that yeah. thing. Came out and then Dan just got lyrics and put it on the top of it, I love and it became one of it. became one of our, our better-known songs, but it was really just a jam. And I don't think we were thinking about. Um, no, I don't think we think. I don't think we were thinking in terms of making it sound okay. like yeah, anything, really. Hear. You just know, but it. then again, you know, like I say, you know, you never know because influences. You you think things do rub off on you, whether yeah. whether you whether you yeah. are aware of it or not, you know. Yeah, I was just curious. Um this brings me to another thing
1: that I wondered about you. When I when I read about the band's history, which there's a very detailed account on the website, it's wonderful. It feels like you guys you guys had like spots of success in numerous different points around the globe. You know? Oh, so like, it is. It, it, and I don't. I'm just thinking, how do you even prepare for that? Like one song is not a hit anywhere but in Germany, and another song is not a hit anywhere but South America, and another hit song is not a hit anywhere but in Russia. How do you? How can you possibly expect that? Plan for that? Do you? Or do you just let it roll?
2: Actually, it's great fun because when we go bet- to play the set, we we can we can change the set. You see. I mean, when the Stones go out to do that set, okay, well, their there's, the songs were a hit all over the world, every same song. So when they go out and they play that set, they play that set from, well, they've been playing the same set since they were 12, I think. You know, it's ah. like just the same set. Well, we go out, you know, we're always, oh, well, this was a hit. This, this was not just a hit. This was number one in this country yeah. and it was never played anywhere else. So we've got, I'll give you two good examples of it. We've got a song called Animals, so We Are Animals, which was on the Snakes and Ladders album, right? And uh, what happened is we were going to Russia for our first tour in 1990, and the only what they had is they had we just before we went we done uh, we we were going to put that out as a single, and we we did a a video of it. Mm. So when before we got to Russia, this was the only video they had of Nazareth. So they played this thing all over that country, coast to coast, north to south of it. It got played for like about three months before we got there. And when we got there, this track was, I mean, it was just a monster and we didn't play it. We didn't play it live. I mean, we had to, okay, we better learn this one. Eh? So, and when we did it, I mean, the place erupted. It's huge. It's an anthem. Now, we came and we thought, we never play anywhere else, just in Eastern Europe, you know. And uh, we thought one of the times we came, we we're in the States and we were doing a tour. It was about twenty years ago. Say, well, let's just put animals in because it's a great number, you know. Yeah. Let's see, just see how it goes. And we played it, and they said, and everybody sort of went, "Hmm, yeah, okay." <laughs> uh, and uh, next, you know, so that was I think, If we did it in Russia, they go apeshit, you know. Now yes. one of the other one, the other ones was, uh, I remember arriving in the Philippines one time, and they met us after 22 hours of traveling there. We were so tired. Could you come straight to the studio? Yeah, do this, just, it's a, a it's just a lip sync, because just a lip sync of do your number one record. And we went, yeah, sure. So we thought, Bill of hurts. Or maybe even Dream On. Dream On's huge in Europe, you know, which it means nothing in America, but it was number one in Germany, I think. You come and do it. So we say, okay, we're tired, but we'll do that. So we came to the studio. Our road crew went to the hotel to check in in Manila. And we went to the studio and we get into the the bit. And I've got all this an audience of about 400 kids all jumping up and down, screaming. And we never even got a run through. You know, we just went straight in there. This was live going out. And we're just doing this lip sync. So we're standing, we get the toy guitars around our necks and stuff. And this intro started. And we were going, what's this? What's going on here? <laughs> we thought they were playing somebody else's record. And then it started with, oh, wait a minute, this is Where Are You Now? It's what song that we'd recorded, you know, but we'd never played it. And, of course, we thought, well, for us, it was no problem. Guitars, bass, drums, you just kind of play a lot, look as if you're playing along. But Dan, he was up there and he had a clue of what the lyrics were. don't, he'd, <laughs> he'd, he'd only ever sung this thing once, you know, in the studio when we recorded it, so he didn't have a, scooby and what, what was going on so this was this guy up there and it was absolutely hilarious when we got back to the hotel the road crew were in the lobby bar and they were rolling on the floor because they'd seen this thing on the tv you know so that it's classic it can, it can come and bite your ass actually when you get these different <laughs> Right,
1: <laughs> right right now what's been your approach to covers because obviously love hurts was a cover But you guys do them so well, like this flight tonight.
0: Look out to the left, the captain said The lights down there, that's where we land. So a falling star burning high above the Las Vegas End. It wasn't the one. Down south between the trailer. Not the early one that you wish upon, Not the northern one, the guides and the sailors. You've got that, touch so gentle and sweet. But you've got that look so critical. Can't talk me, you, babe. You know I get so weak. Sometimes I think that. Everyone
1: Tony Mitchell yeah. song. You wouldn't think that Nazareth would would take no, that as, as their own, but you did. How do you decide? Do you play a bunch of covers and put
2: out the ones you like? What's what's the no, philosophy no, no, no. here? That one, that one was uh, with Johnny's, and, and with this flight tonight, it was. I mean, a song like my, that we we used to play it when we're traveling around in the van in the middle of the night, going from gig to gig in Germany oh, or whatever. Yeah. You know? And we had our compilation tape, and, and that was always one that we loved. And and, and we did, you know, and we decided, you no, know, what you do with covers, what we do with our cover is if we decide to do it, is like you treat the original as a demo and say, now, how do you do this? You know, you don't, because if it sounds like, well, obviously with Joni it was dead easy. She plays it on acoustic guitar and that's it, you know. But you want to change it drastically, or, or, or it's not, it's not. It's just like playing in a cover band in in the ballrooms, like we used to do in our young days, you know. So you, you take the thing and you've got to make it yours. And we we did it with Love Hurts. It was Graham Parsons and Emily Harris that we used to listen to all the time. We loved it. It was on the Grievous Angel album. But, I mean, we did it like, well, you saw you heard. There was 43 versions of Love Hurts recorded by people like the Everleys, Roy Orbison, yeah. all that, before we did it. But when we did it, we got the killer version because of Dan's vocal, you know. But I mean, one of the ones we did—I mean, we did uh, I mean, everybody's got to cover a Bob Dylan song at some point, yeah. Yeah. So we did we did Hollis Brown, and believe me, that sounds absolutely nothing like what Bob does. <laughs>
1: no, I really <laughs> so like you guys' version of Ruby Tuesday.
2: So. That was, yeah, that was the closest major. That that was, yeah, yeah. But I, that, that was closer to,
1: to true. You're right. It's not exactly but, like a reinterpretation. Yeah, straightforward.
2: We, I think there, there was there was one time, John, we were up and we were in, a, we were in a, a a recording studio one time, and we talked about doing again. We, we don't do covers all the time, but just it's interesting if one comes up with what would like to try that. And I remember the move, the the band here, which Roy Wood when they. They were huge in Britain, you know, in the 60s. And when we were a ballroom band and playing in the, you know, the clubs and stuff, we did Tiger Woman, which was a wild Tiger Woman that they did. And it's a brilliant record. It's a great record, you know. Mm-hmm. And we used to play it. We thought, mm-hmm. let's, let's, I the Do Tiger Woman. We'll do a version of that, you know. So we did. You know, we went in and we and we played it, and we played it. We played it great, you know. We did it, great. but when we finished, it just sounded like the move. But Dan was singing, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's not really what we're. That's not really what we're after, you know. So we never ever used that, you know, we just never got around to it yet. so yeah, I think as we always said that, you know, if you you, you got to put your own stamp on it, and 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 as I say, try and treat the the original as being the demo that somebody's yeah. brought into you, you know. That makes sense.
1: Now, I was going to ask you about this, you mentioned it, you brought it up earlier about there not being like one specific Nazareth sound, it's kind of there's a little bit of everything i mean the name itself i didn't i'd never pieced it together until getting ready to talk to you that was inspired by nazareth from the weight by the band yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah.
1: i mean there's a little bit of everything there's some skinner there's some country rock there's some glam rock in here and even on the new album you made me the last song is this like slide guitar acoustic blues thing which sounds nothing like anything else on the album
3: Again. You said by the dog that bit me And before I knew what hit me You had showed me how to win That's no sin Stop me losing You held me I was lost long-
1: Has it ever worked against you? Have you ever felt like, you know, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, the diversity is no. nice, but would consistency have been better?
2: No, no, no. Well, actually, I wrote that one and I sing it. Oh, that's so, you singing so, that so, song. I love it. That's me. Uh, that's me singing. Good so one. what happened was like it's the only it's the only track that I've actually got on the uh, this album. Yeah, but, and the last time we all had like three or four each but this time when we were writing and you know in the lockdown thing I, it means we're all kind of in, 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 in introspective the songs I seem to be writing you know yeah. so most of them I didn't see like fitting on the album at all you know the guys were writing heavier rock, heavier, rockier stuff you know so I didn't really put anything forward but the guys had heard me doing that a, a, a demo of that and they went oh yeah we'll definitely want to do that one you know mm-hmm. so I did it. I went and then I got my old keyboard player that used to play with us to come in and play Hammond and Ronnie that used to play with Nazareth for years. And we just did it. And it's one of these things that is completely different from the rest of the album. Yeah, it's completely different. And that's why it's at the end. It's the kind of... You know, after you've had your head kicked in with the rest of the album, that's where you have your milk and cookies just like before it. you go to bed on that one, you know? Yeah. And it's just a nice sort of slip out of the... It's a wind-down thing, yeah. you know? And, and I always always wanted to do a song like that. We used to cover that kind of song, that type of music, a lot, you know? So I'd never actually written anything like that, you know? So it was just uh, one it's of genius. these things. But, yeah, you no, know, just one of these things. But uh, I mean, I really enjoyed doing that one actually.
1: Good. Yeah. Okay. Two questions. I know we're coming up on time. First of all, you know, there have been periods where Nazareth was at the top of the world, and there has been times when Nazareth was almost forgotten about. During those lean yeah. years. What were the biggest challenges of the lean years? Maybe the late 80s, uh, into the 90s? I don't know. Or have you been able yeah. to at least consistently tour, pay your bills, put out albums, or were there lean
2: times? Yeah, the late, it was, well, you had to write in the head there, like the, the 80s, for the mid 80s yeah.
0: and,
2: and through the 90s, really, uh, into the 90s. I mean, it was, it was just, you know, you weren't doing, you you, you were way past your, your big time. You were way yeah. past that, you know, in, in America. So it was like the clubs again, you know, that kind of thing. is was like kind, kind of doing that. But we always managed to keep to the sort of concert hall circuit. It was a bit spinal tap, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, uh, but it was, um, we always managed to, to, to keep working. But the, the 80s wasn't a good, it wasn't a good decade for rock. Yeah. It was all, you know, the, the new romantics and all that stuff, so you would really you weren't getting a lot of new fans then, it was just your old fans that were hanging in there, yeah. you know, yeah. and when we got to the 90s, I mean, as far as recording was concerned, you know, we couldn't get arrested you know, because yeah. it was just nobody was interested in recording uh, uh, you know, anybody from our era if you like, well we did one, two, three, three, three albums I think in the 90s, one at two at the beginning and one r- later on it was a time for just touring yeah, but we were lucky and, and as much as th- this is what happened and then what happened what saved everybody <laughs> and saved rock and roll over here mm-hmm. is the wall came down in 89 mm-hmm. and when the wall came down in Berlin when we were there just 10 days before that happened and when that came down that opened up half the world to rock and roll you yeah, know when we, we you Russia is you know the biggest country on the planet we've I've done I've played more cities up there than Putin's been in, you know? <laughs> and we've, and, uh, no, absolutely, we've done so many tours, we've toured there more than any other band in the world. But you had uh, Russia, you had all the places like Slovenia, Slovakia, uh, yeah. uh, well, still checking, you had, um, you know, Poland and yeah. Ukraine. And, and you and guys are these, huge uh,
1: in all these places.
2: Ab- absolutely so the whole of yeah. eastern europe opened up and it and, and it, it it did it with everybody i mean everybody was going there you know I mean, yeah. so it, it, the work really really opened up uh, and kept everybody going yeah. and and again like the so south america and things that didn't go away so that was still okay so it was lean you know it was a lean time for for getting your music recorded but it was it was okay for touring really okay you know? good yeah i was curious
1: what that period was like La- uh, last bit. How's Dan? Uh, is his how's his health? Is he okay?
2: He's not great. He, he's not great. I mean, that, Dan loves. I, I can get to Dan's house in my car in about three minutes. I mean, he lives in a village. Well, you've been to Dunfermline. You know yeah. where it is. So, you know, we we just live in. And oh, she's down on the river, and I'm just out west okay. of Dunfermline. Okay. So um, I've, I saw him. Saw him just at the beginning of last week. He's not. He's not good. He's. he's you know, he's got. His, uh it, 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 well, it's that COPD, urge, you know. So his lungs are kind of shot, you know. So um, he's not going to get any better. But um, and it's, it's just that it's a, it's a real shame because it's, it's just that it makes it physically impossible for him to actually get out and about, you know. So mm-hmm. that's terrible. Uh, that and it's been really, ter- it was really terrible for him the last two years because nobody okay. could go near him just in case you infected. Oh, yeah, him. that's right. You know, he can't infect you know, him. It'd be yeah, terrible. Yeah. I mean, if he'd have got anything, it would have been fatal. You know? be so,
1: right. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. very odd question. Have, I'm originally from Salt Lake City. Sometimes when I tell that to people on here, they have some weird story about their experience playing in Salt Lake City. Have you ever played in or been to Salt Lake City,
2: and do you have a story about it? No, yeah, I've been in Salt Lake City several times, and I've got one story I'll never ever – a real beauty. Right? It was uh, – we went there to start – we went there, then we started a tour. At Saltley, we went we, we went out to Saltley and we started. To start, and I get up in the morning, and I had this really dry skin in my face, you know. And I thought, I've got to get some, I've got I've got to get some, uh, you know, some some moisturiser or uh-huh. something, you know. So I thought, I said, uh, right. So Dan and I said, he said, well, I said, let's go out to the mall, and we'll go and. We'll go some some place, and we we'll need to pick up some some stuff anyway for the tour. So I we went over there, and I went into this big store, and he was away looking at something else. And I went up to this counter, and the last she recognised me, and she was saying, "Oh yeah, I know going to Nazareth. Oh yeah, and blah, blah blah." You're coming? I said, "Great." So I said, um, I need someone for my, you know, my, 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 I mean, I just, I was needing like Vaseline or something, you know, just a wee thing. She said, oh, I've got this, this, is this, 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 tiny wee wee thing, this tiny wee dish thing, wee, wee bottle. She said, this is thing, this is, this is very, very good. Let me put some of this on, it's really good. She said, my husband uses this. I said, oh, what's your husband? No, he's a builder. I said, oh, very good. So, so she puts this wee thing on for my nose and I went, yeah, that's fine. She says, is that good? I said, yes. I said, that's fine. I'll just take that. So, so she rightly rat- says that's hundred <laughs> <laughs> and ten dollars. What? And I'm going. I said, "What does your husband build? The Taj Mahal?" You know. I was like, "A hundred and ten dollars." Goodness. Of course, you know. And the thing is, I was so you know, I I thought I really should be going. I was just she just caught me, you know, and I thought. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking this thing, you know, and, and, and <laughs> I really should have said, you know, you must be kidding, but I had, to, I had to sort of take it in my stride. You know, you're the rock star. Oh, yeah, yeah, give me four of them, you know. <laughs> so yes. I remember I remember, $110 worth of Salt Lake City. <laughs> That's crazy. What a great story. Cool.
1: Well, look, Pete, you're a legend. Thank you for talking with me. I've been wanting to do this for years. I love the that new my album. It was pleasure. I'm so glad we did this, and uh, I hope one day I get to see you guys live. All right, there you have it, Pete Agnew. Surviving the Law is the new album, and it is absolutely worth your time. I hope you heard some things that you like. If you love that sort of classic heavy metal, it is still up there. It's still good. In fact, I've been thinking, these guys remind me. I wish, you know, we had Andy from Sweet and Tony from The Babies on here. And all three of these bands are classic British Rock, just meat and potatoes rock bands Revolutionary for what they did at the time And they all still have, you know, at least one original member Or more, or one or two original members in the band I would love for the three of them to go on a tour together And come to the States, specifically Denver, so I can go But wouldn't that be a great show to see the babies Nazareth and Sweet all on the same bill Still rocking after all this time I would love to see that Anyway, part two of our twofer is with John Payne the frontman for Asia. Now I think everybody knows this story too but in case you don't obviously so actually let me correct that. John is is celebrating two big anniversaries this year. First up the debut Asia album comes out 40 years ago, all right? And it's huge and it's one of the most perfect albums ever made. I stand by that. So eventually after some success John Wetton of the band leaves and 30 years ago, John Payne joins and continues with the Asia name and the Asia music from then on for a while until Whedon comes back a few years ago. So this, this anniversary tour is two things. It's 40 years since the original album and 30 years since John joined. And they are out there right now on a tour. You can go to John's website. I put the link in the description here to check on shows. I will say this conversation is an interesting one because it's really casual. It's more just me and John kind of hanging out, shooting the breeze. I thought it would be really interesting. What is that like when you are coming in as the new guy to take over as the frontman for a super group, no less, let alone a classic rock group as sort of celebrated as Asia? How do you do that? And at this point, John is the o- John Payne, I should say, is the only guy out there from the quote-unquote original Asia that's still touring and still making it happen? How do you get to do that? How do you get to hang on to the Asia name? When you make new music, do the old guys step in once in a while and perform with you? Do they contribute? Is it all you? Anyway, it's a really interesting... I just thought it would be so interesting to learn how it works to be John Payne and Asia today. So there's actually not that much music in this episode, hardly any. Um, but it's a really interesting and kind of, through, you get to see kind of behind the curtain conversation between me and John. He called me from his home in Vegas. Okay, first and foremost, let's do this. There is a large uh, 30, 40 and 30th anniversary tour about to begin. I'm I'm fuzzy on when it begins exactly, but it's to commemorate the beginning of Asia and then the beginning of you in Asia. So tell me about this tour. What's going on exactly?
5: Well, yeah, I I, I want to make it very, very clear that for those people that don't know, know, I, I started Asia 30 years ago in 1991. Of course, Asia was around before in 1982 with the wonderful first album, which featured Jeff Downs, Carl Palmer, Steve Howe, and John Wetton, and signed to the Geffen label. Ten years later, I joined the band. John had gone out to do a solo career, and Jeff Downs asked me into the band in 1991-92. And then we released in 92. So which I didn't think about it until, I think it was... Uh, at the end of last year, I went, oh, my God, it's, it's 30 years of, of, since I've done Aqua. Where mm-hmm. did those years go? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, it's 40 years since the first album mm-hmm. in 82. So I thought what it would be cool would be to play the whole of Aqua and also play uh, most of the first age round that I was not. Because I've been playing those songs for years. Mm-hmm. But I haven't played many of the Aqua songs. Really? really, all I ever play from Aqua anymore is He'll Stop the Rain. Yeah. So I came up with this idea of, well, why don't I do celebrate the music of both both albums at the same time? And um, it's kind of happening in the summer.
1: Okay. Proper dates starting in July. Okay. I, I saw some on the year. website for May, and they were all up in, like, the Northeast. Is that yeah, are those happening um, too? Okay,
5: uh, those are happening as well. Um, okay. I've yet to decide whether we actually do that as part of the tour, or whether we just continue doing what we've been doing with the Asia set. But um, and a uh, lot of these I are think, shows with Lou Graham. Yeah, so if they're Lou Graham shows, I won't be doing the anniversary stuff. Okay, because what we do with Lou and we've been doing for some some few years now, is that we'll do eight Asia tunes, then finish with Heat of the Moment probably, Mm. and then I introduce Lou on, and Lou sings with us, and then we'll do eight eight Foreigner songs, which is so much fun to do because I'm such a huge fan of his songwriting, his his albums from all the Foreigner albums, including... Four and a Four, which is probably one of my favorite albums of all time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So I have so many questions to ask about this. At this stage, how does it work exactly? Because I think there's Asia featuring John Payne or John Payne's Asia. And then isn't there another Asia too? Like original Asia?
5: There's original Asia. Yes. I'm, I'm really trying to make people aware that I'm not the Original Asia, mm-hmm. but yet also and sadly, John went and died. And I think after that, Steve Howe wasn't interested in touring with the band. So I did see recently that they've also announced the 40th anniversary tour mm-hmm. with a new singer, okay, Michael Miller and Billy Sherwood on bass, and just two of the original members, Jeff Downs and Carl Palmer.
1: It's so it's unfortunate to me that now seems like the perfect time. I mean, they, you guys, you were there kind of keeping the Asian name alive for so many years, putting out quality albums, all of them. I think Arena is my favorite, by the way. And then, of course, it makes sense that they come back together and reform. And of course. Yeah. Of course. And they do, they do it well. They put out three great albums under that name. Sadly, yeah. John is gone. It seems yeah. like now would be the perfect time for everyone to come back together Let's merge the old with the new, but that's not what's happening. Why? I think there
5: was some some, uh, happiness when uh, Original Asia got back together. It was kind of a surprise to me as we were doing an album, but the time had come where John had wanted to get back together with the original guys. Mm -hmm. And and from a nostalgia point of view and from the greatest sales point of view, the first Asia album trumps everything. So I'm not I'm not stupid in that, and it's always something when you've got all those people still working and alive that 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 would happen. So as much as as, as I didn't want it, it, it was one of those natural progression things. I did reach out earlier this year and said, "Wouldn't it be a good idea that we could, you know, as the only surviving." Vocalist for Asia that's ever recorded anything, and mm-hmm. fifteen years in the band that, that um, I would go out with them, and I suggested that, and uh, I don't think it was, I don't think it was, any, it wasn't entertained. So at least sure. I, you know, as at least as as you know, it wouldn't be easy at first for everybody because of you know just there are just some bad vibes when anything goes down like that, but. Mm-hmm. I tried Amanda Bridge and uh, maybe they just didn't want to do it or they didn't see the commercial viability of it, either one of those. So um, mm-hmm. that's why you know, I've decided to do the double tour yeah. on, on my own, even though I'm not known for those songs from the first album. Right. But I've been singing them for so many years and I've been singing them for, for 30-odd years. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Let's go back to the, I have more questions about this, but I want to kind of, kind of go back to that beginning stage. You, I, if I understand correctly, I believe you and Jeff were buddies, roommates, drinking buddies, whatever.
5: Oh, yeah, and, very much so.
1: And okay. I, I,
5: we used to, we actually shared houses together for like 30 years, even though Jeff had a family and, and kids. He was estranged from his first wife and so we worked together so solidly on the Asia stuff. We just lived and breathed it. So we'd either be in the studio. We'd record a lot of albums at residential studios. We'd just go away for three or four months. And then it just made sense that we shared a house together in the UK, in, in the US. And uh, we 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 were, were great friends. But as I say, every everything can have its time
1: and yeah it
4: worked
5: it worked for a while very well
1: yeah it's uh it's interesting we mentioned foreigner a minute ago a couple years ago i talked with johnny edwards who took over for lou in foreigner and johnny had been singing in other bands like king cobra and stuff like that and he was too classy to say this but basically what it comes down to is that unfortunately for him he becomes the scapegoat you know if mick jones who's still at the helm can put together a foreigner album call and replace lou with this unknown guy and if it doesn't work mick jones isn't going to shoulder the blame for that he's going to say oh it's this new singer it just didn't work out you know what i mean were you faced with that kind of pressure when you came on to do aqua or were you and jeff already buddies and so there was an established relationship there
5: so there was an established relationship we were already friends. I'd met him through a bass player friend of mine, Phil Sporting, and he. Was I know Phil.
1: Phil's been on here twice. Oh, he? <laughs> I love Phil.
5: I love Phil too. We were we were very great friends, and I'm, I'm sure we would be if we saw each other. But he's living in London. I'm living in yep. Vegas, and I've known Phil his, you know his family, God, I suppose, forty years.
1: Wow. And he you did, did you thing. party down with Phil back when he was big time in the drugs and everything? Yes, I bet time. you did. Bless big his heart, time. he's clean now and has been for a while. And he yeah, no, he we, he did go off the rails,
5: and I'm lucky I don't have an addictive personality. Phil did, yeah, and he'd be the first to admit it. But what a talented musician! I love him and a great friend. I mean, really good friend. Yeah. So we we played together a lot, and. He introduced me to Jeff when Jeff was producing GTR. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Downs and I struck up a friendship. Then Jeff had an idea of a project and actually Phil was involved. Phil was playing bass on it and they tried Max Bacon. They actually tried John Wetton, and it was called Rain. And then they asked me to join. We had a manager, I think he was managing Kiss at the time, called Larry Mesa. And Larry went out to get us a deal. And we had the demos, Who Will Stop the Rain being one of them. Hmm. And I, it just went, seemed to go on forever. At that time, I got asked by Don Arden to join ELO as the lead singer. And I met with Bev Bevan and Don Arden and his, his son, David. And then I met with Jim Steinman, went to the States with Jim Steinman, to work on some songs, and then Jeff Lynne wouldn't sign off on the name with Bev Bevan, said, well, it's going to be called ELO Part 2. And that was another situation just seemed to be dangling for ages. Mm-hmm. Then I got a call from Jeff Downs, who was at a very famous recording studio called Nomis. It was actually named after one of my old managers, Simon Napier-Bell. There's no Mrs. Simon. Oh, sure, yeah. I I know Simon. You know, Simon managed Asia, but he managed Yardbirds, uh, all these famous people, T-Rex, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when, and I got called to the studios. And I remember I took my cat. I used to travel everywhere with my Siamese cat on the underground. And I went to the other side of London, and Jeff was there. And then Jeff said, "Well, how do you feel about joining Asia?" I thought, I don't know, Asia's, you know, a four piece and there's some pretty big shoes to fill. I, I play bass. The guitar is my first instrument. But I play bass in all my demos and all my recorded works. But I, I'm not used to playing bass and bass and singing at the same time. Let me think about it. And I got home and for about three weeks. I was, was rehearsing playing bass in some of the Asia songs in it. Oh, I think I can do this. Mm-hmm. Ella is not forthcoming. I called up Don Arden and I put the phone down on him because he started screaming at me because he was a pretty frightening guy.
4: Really, yeah. that's what I've heard. Well,
5: he'd, he'd already he'd hung Robert Stigwood out of uh, a building to get a record deal. He'd get venues smashed up. He was yeah. one of those typical Spengler English thug managers. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he managed Black Sabbath. ELO and and a whole bunch of bands. Sure. So I went, okay, I can do this. So I called Jeff back and then we started recording some songs. And then we went into AdVision Studios and we basically finished the album before we even got a record deal. Oh, really? We got offered some really great record deals. And the album cost a lot of money, but in those days, you know, residential studio for five months. Oh. We're going through everything for three months in this top recording studio. And just working 12 hours a day. And then our only relief would be going down the pub every evening with yeah. the rest of the band. Right. I was so cool bringing in Carl Palmer, Steve Howe. Yeah. And, you know, Simon Phillips, Al Petrelli. you know, we had some great players on it.
1: So originally, you made the album without a label. So, were you just, everyone was kind of like, let's just see how this goes. Let's write some songs, yeah, I think, yeah, and see what happens. Money in, and the owner, Doug,
5: oh, I'm not sure is even alive anymore, but um, he basically uh, backed us and said, No, you're good for it. You know, this is, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you, you know, six months of studio time and just pay me once
1: it's, once you get the deal. Okay. Now originally out of the gate I were you I mean this was you know this is before the internet pre social media people may not realize that John Wetton's not there anymore. What what is that first initial tour initial like splash with the new album featuring you instead? You're, well, you this- you were kind of like a a fringe not a forgive me for saying that but this has to be your first big taste. Oh, yeah. no. I was, in, I was stepping into some huge
5: shoes. You know, I'd worked with a lot of famous people, but on the outside, you know, yeah, I with Roger Daltrey.
1: I'm going to ask know, you about that later. I have that yeah, coming
5: up. I solo career stuff, you know, Mike Oldfield and, and, and did a lot of session work doing backing vocals for people. You know, I had a record deal when I was younger, but trying to get a rock record deal. It was very hard. I had a band with Clive Burr from um, Maiden and, and okay. I from the Michael Schenker group, with Passion, where I was just a singer. This was a huge opportunity. Yeah. And I was the new boy, you know, and, like, I've spoken to a, a lot of people, um, you know, like Sammy Hager or Brian Johnson, and uh, even though their careers just went boom, the, you know the amount of negative you get as being, yeah. you know, singing. You can change virtually every other place in a band without so much difference yeah. in sound. And when I was asked by Jeff to join the band, it wasn't like I want you to sound like John Wetton. He's got that very clear choral voice.
1: I was going to say um, yours is kind of scratchy, grittier.
5: Mine's scratchier, more more and more bluesy. Yeah, and that was very cool that I was let to do that. But, you know, that there, you know, I've, I've had emails where, you know, people or messages where people hated me, you know, for doing it. And it's like, well, I didn't ask to join. Yeah. And there wouldn't be any band if, right. If I hadn't done it for 15 years. Right. So it's just one of those things. It was, it was daunting. And, but, the album was received very well. Yeah. We the rain was played a lot on the radio. We did some really big touring, you know, in, in Russia and Estonia to, you know, Estonia shows over 100,000 people. Wow. And, good for uh, you. Some good touring in Japan. Yeah. Japan was really the first place I went to. We did a warm up show in the UK and we went to Japan. My, my, uh, Image thing at that time was a big top hat. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, a top hat. I had makeup on. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I had a double neck guitar. Nice. I could play lead guitar and bass at the same time. Yeah. And, and uh, I was in my early 30s and.
1: and uh, married, and not just, married? Not that it matters. If you're married, a rock star. Not married.
5: I never got married. Oh, I really? Got married. I got near there a couple of times. And in fact, just name dropping. I was hanging out with Sting the other day and and chatting to him. And I was just wondering, you know, and and I know that his current relationship has been together for a long time. Being on the road is so difficult. I think if you take your significant other with you and the rest of the band doesn't see it as a spinal tap, Mm -hmm. then... um, uh, that's probably only one way to make it survive, because distance and touring and doesn't, doesn't
1: make for a good relationship. Yeah. Yeah. At this stage, I mean, because, you know, if you had been in Asia at the beginning and had a co write on, you know, heat of the moment or something like that, there probably would be some really decent mailbox money coming in, yeah. but you're, I mean. Your albums are great, but they're primarily for the diehards. They're and, for the diehards. Yes. And you make a living, I'm guessing, through touring. Because touring is my main most- thing now. And also, my
5: Asia albums got frozen for a while. Really? 15 years, they got frozen, yeah. Long story. Some
1: of them still aren't on, on Spotify. I don't know if you know. Yeah, them. most of them aren't. Yeah aqua is pays, and the rest aren't yeah
5: spotify pays so badly as well oh, yeah. and record sales aren't what they what they were you know at some stage i'd love to reissue them all on vinyl and that's what yeah. i'm thinking about at the moment i'm actually in the studio recording a new asia album excellent is, yeah called aviana
1: which means bird like. you got um, you found another a word yeah i found another a after Silent oh, Nation, I wondered if those days were over. I know. <laughs> Rodney Matthews is Rodney Matthews just on the cover for us. And oh, great. It's,
5: it's brilliant, brilliant out in cover. Oh,
1: I'm glad.
5: But,
1: um, yeah. So, how um, have yeah. the, the last couple of years have to have been kind of rough? We have being, been. Now, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's we try to touch funny. on very sensitively the business side of things on here. They've been terrible. But, Yeah, luckily Vegas isn't too expensive to live in, but that still can't be easy. It is. What's happened now is because
5: California is so expensive, Vegas has become very expensive now. Is it? House prices have doubled in five years. Rents have doubled in five years, and COVID's made it far worse. Mm -hmm. So you know it it has been been tough. The only thing that's uh, kept me alive is. I love engineering and music production. Oh, good. So as much as I look like I'm at the beach, I'm actually sitting in my recording studio Uh where I have an 80-channel mixing console in front of me, all outboard gear, big live room. And if it wasn't for doing studio work, songwriting, doing stuff for movies and TV, and that's what's kept me alive.
1: Okay. And barely. Yes. Give us an example. Would we know anything that you any shows you've worked on or done stuff for?
5: Maybe not so much. And we're working on one that's coming out, which is a reality show on on zip lines, and that's actually waiting for a new new release. Fun. Uh, And just bits and people pieces for people. I worked on a thing called Intelligent Music Project. Which is okay. uh, out of Bulgaria, but uh, I sing on it. Joseph Williams sings on it. Ooh, um, nice. We have some some really cool singers on it. Simon Phillips plays, plays on it. Oh, that's uh, great. Nathan East plays on it. Ooh, Tim Pierce. Wow, Nathan. Whereas Tim Pierce, really, right on. He's been yeah. on really cool. great. So, that's been keeping me alive as well. And I've been doing little projects for people, but really, they, you know the 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 main focus now is is to get this new Asia album done.
4: Yeah, that's great. So Good for
5: you. Asia John Payne album
1: Do you at this stage is Asia featuring John Payne? I know for a while there you had Govan. Is that his name? Guthrie Govan. Yeah. Guthrie Govan. Yeah. Sorry, I had it reversed in my mind. I know for a while there you had. It seemed like fairly regular guys were around for the most part. We had part. a
5: solid lineup then with. Chris Slade from ACDC. Okay. Jeff and myself and Jeff Towns. And that was a really good period of the band.
1: Right. Live- but what's Asia now? Is it just you and some session guys? Or where, where are you it's at now? It's me and some session
5: guys. We do have, we do have regular guys like uh, Jonathan Gilchrist, Jamie Hosmer, Alex Garcia. We have Moni Scario, who's been with me a long time. Jeff Coleman that's been with me a long time. Great. And, Johnny Fedovich, we have, we have a, a band of musicians and I have to have, because the shows have been few and far between, that if you can't offer someone an extensive tour, it's yeah. very hard for them not to go off and do other things. Of course. Like Jeff Comagoff working with Alan Parsons at the moment. So mm-hmm. I have a team of people between Vegas and Los Angeles That's and great. the musicianship in both places is incredible. Yes. And then once I've done the album, I want to tour that album next year with that lineup. Excellent. We've always been a shifting sand, you know. Really, the one cohesive album which we actually did with a steady lineup on was actually Aria.
1: Really? Um,
5: Only four did, people on the record, no guest people, and only four people on the on the tour.
1: Did Steve Howe play the whole thing though? He didn't, did he? He's only played on that first one, Aqua, right? He's only
5: played on Aqua, and we got him to play on Aura.
1: Uh, Aura, on that's what I was player. thinking. I got Aura and Aria yeah. mixed up. That's yeah. right. Okay, do were you friendly with him? What's he like? Steve is a
5: very interesting character it's hard to get into his world sometimes and we we were very good friends and when i lived in london he used to come around and visit sometimes and we'd listen to to music and and chat and i did quite a few tours with steve and we got on great and sometimes you know he'd even complimented me about my guitar playing and stuff wow that's huge incredible but i think when it all went down with the the breakup of, of the Asia that I was in and then the original Asia getting back together, we kind of parted ways.
1: That's too bad. So, okay. So you just said something that's that triggered something in my brain when the original Asia gets back together, is it, what, how do they, how do they tell you this? And is it, John, we're going to do this with wetting for a little while Thank you for your service. We'll let you know when we need you again. Or is there bad blood? Has there been a fight? That, did something happen with you that led to them wanting to get back with Wetton? or did Wetton just say, hey, guys, I'm, I want to do this again. Let's do it. And they had to kick you out.
5: I think the anniversary came up. They had some discussions. I think probably from Jeff's point of view that it was difficult for him to tell me. Uh, So I kind of found out about it in a roundabout way. And then I met with their management and the management said that, that, you know, it was going to be a temporary thing and just for a tour. And I knew that it wouldn't be a temporary thing once, you know, the originals got together and maybe they start discovering a bit of their magic again, that it, it would be gone. And then we got into some fights, but then at the end of the day, we came to a mutual arrangement where they could tour as Asia and record and I could tour as Asia featuring John Payne.
1: Yeah. How does and that then, work? Because that, like what went into that, that seems like if they're still out there, it just seems, and it, forgive me, John, if this is, again, I'm pushing on the wrong things, but yeah. as an outsider and a fan of Asia, I'm thinking, okay, the four original guys come back together. They want to tour as Asia, but they allow you to keep the name Asia and be John Payne. What, what's in it for them to do that? How does it work? That's a very long story. Oh, okay.
5: It, it got to that point. It got to yeah. that point where we could do that. And then for a year or so, you know, there was no point in me going out, in uh, certainly in the US, while they were doing their reunion tour. So I started a group called GPS.
1: Yeah, good stuff.
4: More a, it's a,
5: good one. a little bit more towards progressive metal and that was with Guthrie Govan, who was in Asia at the time with me, Jay Shellen who's now in Yes yeah. and this fantastic keyboard player called Rio Okamoto from Sparks Beard. I mean yeah. they really were incredible musicians and that yeah. album received great press and stuff but because of the time and winning record sales and It wasn't a recognized brand. We did some touring, and I basically kept the Asia featuring John playing thing on ice. And then they didn't tour so much, and then Jeff was doing a lot of work with Yes. So then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to come out and and do some uh, touring around 2007, 2008, I think. Okay. And uh, I did that for quite a few years up until about 2012 13 okay. when I started my Vegas show. Mm. And uh, it worked okay because in uh, between, between those, those years, the uh, original Asia didn't do that much touring in the US.
4: Yeah.
5: Uh, there would be maybe you know, a month of stuff. But I, w- I would be available all year round. So,
1: okay. I had um, Stu Cook from CCR on here. Yeah. I've had him on here a couple of times too. Met him. He's a great guy. He was, as you can imagine, there's there's a lot of drama in that band too, with uh, John Fogarty being having written all those songs, but Cosmo and Stu Cook having played on all those songs, and them touring yeah. out there as Queens Clearwater Revisited. And originally, because John, as great a songwriter as he is, he's very litigious, and so there was there were a lot of hoops that everybody had to jump through. But eventually, I think what it came down to is they could tour as Creedence Clearwater revisited, but had to give sort of some of the, you know, the money of make it made back to Fogerty to pay for the song because they're playing songs he wrote. Is there a similar sort of structure in what you're doing? No. And I, I I think they weren't paying
5: the back to but probably for the songs that they wrote, because any band can play anybody else's songs.
1: Yeah, I'm probably saying uh, it wrong. You're right.
5: I think the, using the credence name was yeah, that might be. probably he gets what they call an override. But I thought at one stage he wasn't allowed to sing the songs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I, that so was true just, for a
1: little while, but it's just crazy and the music business uh, is nuts.
5: Yeah, it isn't business. It's not good business because litigation really only serves one purpose, and that's paying lawyers.
4: Yeah.
5: And if we could all work these things out rather than the legal and legal issues, you know, and you get accused of, and I'm sure they did, of like, oh, you're pretending to be the original lineup. And I understand where that happens in confusion. But at the end of the day, I, I don't want that confusion. I, yeah. I want to be,
1: you know, people that know exactly what, they're
5: doing. Known for what I've done. And what's, what's interesting is, is that going forward now after this, uh, reunion tour, uh, I've had so many emails from people saying that they want to hear more of the stuff that I've done. Good. So, um, I think after this year, and certainly when we get a new album out, is we're going to really promote the new album yeah. very strongly. Good. And then also play a track from each of the Asia albums that have been on, at least. And then of course, you know, you have to you have to play you have to play the hits yeah. of of the, the original lineup. Of course. Like, either the moment the only time will tell. Yeah. You don't do that. Then. What's the point of having That's right. the engine connected Good to
1: point. it? Good yeah. point. That's true. Um, okay. Tell me about Roger Daltrey. I, um, one of our listeners, Mike, our Patreon supporters, Michael Bagford, wanted to know about that. He and I are both big fans of the Under the Raging Moon album yeah. that Roger did. In fact, I've had Alan Shacklock on here yeah. a couple of times. Yeah a couple of times to talk about his career and specifically deep dive that album itself. So are, do you two go way back? How did you get involved? We do go way back. In fact, I
5: wrote to Alan not long ago. I think it was just on uh, Facebook and we were very good friends, but he was more than he knows, very important in my career. Really? And Alan saw something in me that I hadn't been seen by anybody else other than there was another guy called Jim Rodford, who's oh. now sadly passed. Who was in the Kinks and okay. uh, Argent and the Zombies. And Jim, Jim sadly died a couple of years ago. But, um, yeah, Alan's, you know, I remember the band Babe Ruth. And, yeah. And Alan's an amazingly good producer. He is. He, was, he really is. The real
1: deals with producer, yeah. and he was the, on fire there in the 80s too with oh, Roger was. and The Alarm and Meatloaf and Dennis DeYoung yeah. and all that stuff he was doing. Yeah. So good.
5: Alan's a producer uh, in the real traditional producer, he doesn't really like getting into the mixing console and messing with it. He always gets an excellent engineer, but his thing is the song and yeah. um, like really helping a singer come in. I saw him you know, with the adultery songs, saying, like, no, look, you want to go to the chorus quicker. You want to do this. We need a bridge. We need this. And then the sounds, I remember, I said, don't steal this, don't steal this. There was a thing on one of the adultery songs, which is they used a sampling instrument called a synclavier, and they sampled a piano and a bass guitar together at the same time, and used that as a bass sound. And it was incredible. So yeah, I, I haven't spoken to Alan for years, you know, face-to-face, but uh-huh. occasionally we're still in contact. But I was living in a village in England called Harpenden and doing a few gigs there locally and stuff. And Alan came up to me and said, look, I'm producing this guy. Uh, I really like your vocals. Would you would you sing backing
1: vocals on with me? Um, uh, he didn't tell you well, who it was? He just said this no, guy?
5: Well, he didn't tell me at first. He said, I've got... <laughs> Mark Williamson and Annie, I can't remember her name, and John Parr, and I just needed one other voice. And I said, well, who is it? He goes, oh, it's Roger Daltrey. And I went, oh, dear. this is <laughs> So, but they were great sessions, and I, I think I sang on two or three Daltrey albums in
1: the end. Yeah. But, um, Do you remember a song in particular where you can – you hear yourself, and you're like, there I am. Under
5: a raging moon. That was okay. me
1: seeing the answer to yeah. that.
0: Running through the town We were freed up from the moment
5: Pride You Hide. Yeah. But Lord knows it's the Pride You Hide. It's, this is going back quite a long time. It's, I can't remember where it was. Was it
1: 84? I love those Daltrey 80s, album, 80s albums. Yeah. After the 80s. fire, yeah, it's like 84, 85, and then yeah. still haven't seen the movie or can't wait to see yeah. the movie or whatever it's called. That one, yeah. was a couple years later. I that love was the
5: outmaster. album afterwards. I was on that one as well. Yeah. But I remember then I became friendly with. Uh, Bill Kirby, who manager and his daughter oh, sure. uh-huh. and and his wife, and then I got managed by by Bill Kirby's organization for a while. It was it really really put me to a, another level rather than doing you know uh, vocals for TV ads and stuff like that but yeah. I used to get sessions. Songwriters used to use me if they were pitching a song to Cliff Richard and or somebody. I remember actually one song I sang. And it, and it got the entry for the Eurovision Song Contest. It's called Runner in the Night by a guy called Bramway. And I thought and thought about it, but I didn't do the TV show or anything. Oh. I was, it was so alien from a pop career, from what I was doing, because I was a rock and roller. Yeah. But those documentary sessions that Alan Chetlock put me on, you know, really, really started me off. And um, I'm so pleased that you've managed to get to talk to him a couple oh, of Oh, yeah. I don't know if you put that time two and two together that, that i would worked on them.
1: But, um. he, uh, he's been on twice. He came on once five years ago or so just to talk about his career. And then sometimes yeah. we invite back former guests to deep dive an album they work on and go track yeah. by track, tell a soul story. And he came back on a year or two ago and did Under the Raging Moon album just told us the whole story about it he may have mentioned you actually and i can't remember because he's he's like he still has it all and he's one of these people you just sit back and and alan doesn't stop talking you know he tells you all the stories it's fantastic
5: if i could record if i could have the budget for it again those days are gone you know he would be one of the people i would go to but alan come on i spent three months in the studio and produce the next Asia featuring John Payne album. Yeah. and that would, would be really good but you know by the time you're talking about studio time and productions we're talking about half a million dollars totally yeah then, it's not there anymore the money
1: isn't there anymore yeah um okay I gotta ask you about well two things these are kind of funny number one um Steve Cooper told me that you used to drive a Corvette Stingray that said a- the license plate was Asia 2 or something like that.
5: If funny enough, if uh if I wasn't gonna go off screen, we just cleaned out my garage.
1: Uh-huh. And I found the plate. Really? <laughs> I've, got it, I've got it in the room next door. I love that. I thought that was such fun color to add yeah. to this.
5: Uh, it was on the bag out of black Corvette Stingray,
1: yeah love it and then secondly uh tell me about family guy there's this great <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen family guy i gotta yeah. admit but if i know about this clip of um talking to like lead singers of rock bands that aren't really in the public eye anymore and a cartoon version of you shows up saying, Hey, can you play an Asia song or whatever? And it's probably not even your real voice. But do you know what I, you know what I'm referring to? I'm sure.
5: Yeah, I was in fact, in a bar that I used to go with your friend Steve Pilber to, mm-hmm. for the Burbank Bar and Grill. Can't remember what year it was or anything. maybe it was around 2007. I'm not sure. It was from a thing called the Splendid sauce. And they're looking for a joke, then it cuts to Ario Speedwagon <laughs> and they're singing and then here's, and just to throw them a few extra bucks, here's another song by Ario Speedwagon and the cartoon version of Kevin Cronin comes out and goes, stop, my bitch-ass wife gets all <laughs> the money so because of that they switch to me singing uh only time will tell. Yes. <laughs> and I got, you know, they get all my crosses on. Uh-huh. They, they got uh, with my little goatee beard and stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm doing this dance. And I had zero clue it was going to be on. And I was sitting in the bar one evening, and my phone is just blowing up. <laughs> Honestly, about 100 messages. Messages <laughs> ringing. You're on Family Guy. No, I'm not a Family Guy. <laughs> they would have told me. And I said, no, no, I'm not. And they they drew me perfectly. And and uh, it was so funny. Uh, uh, I managed getting a message through and back to uh, Seth MacFarlane, uh-huh. uh, who's the creator. And he said, you're not going to sue us, are you? I said, no. <laughs> we just sold double the amount of tickets at our next gig. <laughs> so then they they sent me a cell which is on my wall in my house. Yeah. Of, of me and Stewie that they drew. There is not a part of it where I'm with Stewie. Oh so It's your favourite character. So they sent a picture of me and Stewie. But going forward, just before COVID, we were on tour. Overseas, and my room is next door to Kevin Cronin's. Really, I so walk on, on the door, and he goes, "Mr. Payne." <laughs> so I was going to say, "This is the first time I've met you," but no, I've met you on the silver screen. That's right. And we go fits of laughter. He said, "I don't normally do this. Let's open a bottle of wine." So we open a bottle of wine. Because so i never drink before a show, and. Kevin was so nice, and uh, we both went. Do you remember that bit where you're standing next to me, and, and I'm like this, and you've got you your hands out like that? Let's let's take a photograph yes, of it. Yes. So I've actually got something I actually want to print and put on my wall. And it's it's the cell from uh, Family Guy, and then the picture of the two of us in
1: real life together. Yes. Oh, that's great. What a crazy fun piece of pop culture history that you get. To I, remember. I remember, I we
5: remember our band never argues. Uh-huh. And I remember we were set to do some more shows. With them. And Kevin and I got on great. Their manager was in the corridor where we were all making tea together. And then our drummer and our guitarist got into a virtual fistfight. Really? That's the last time we played with our speed wagon.
1: Dude, that would be a fun double bill. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. You uh you mentioned the crosses on your neck. There's some there's some vague spiritual you know references in your lyrics a lot. Are you a spiritual person?
5: I'm spiritual. I'm I'm not religious per se, but I am spiritual. I was brought up as a Catholic, but I'm interested in you know a lot of the history the the Holy Grail and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, There's one song called The Prophet. It's all about the supposed story of Mary going to France because she was pregnant with Jesus's child. Uh-huh. And supposedly he went to India and he didn't die after he was crucified. And there's a of Christian religion that's about where that he didn't die. They put him in the tomb and that's how he came up. said said, see my hands. And wow. it, it kind of makes logical sense that, that the embalming and all the stuff they put in him yeah. help discuss so that was one you know one avenue but i i've written a lot of songs that had biblical references and yet i've had other songs that you know have been more about this that are you know, like awake uh someday we're going to go back to the stars and find out who we are, yeah we were seeded from you know bacteria or whatever dna from from other planets so um right. No, I I am very spiritual. I I do have an affiliation with with crosses as well. And I sometimes sometimes actually wonder in a bizarre kind of way that the whole symbolism of the cross, like if you were Jesus and came back, the last thing you would want to see is a cross. Yeah, thing. It's kind of bizarre. It's kind of it's kind of almost his death weapon is signature I so grew like, up oh, uh, I know, I'm, I know, I'm, I know I'm, I'm going off piece here but no no, yeah, no. I, that's why I, I asked I think yeah.
1: that's fascinating I I uh, grew up Mormon and we don't yeah. have any crosses yeah, in I, the churches or on top of the buildings or steeples or anything like that for this very reason and there's yeah. a lot of people have when I was on my Mormon mission back yeah. in the day we'd get asked about it all the time you know what why not crosses are you not Christians it's like, well, if you were Jesus, would you want to be looking at it? Oh, a cross? so that's a Mormon thing as well, is it? Yeah, yeah. We are, we don't have crosses. We're not like anti-crosses, but you're not gonna see But I have, too many but no, I
5: understand that. I've got a lot of Mormon friends here. Yeah. There's a lot of Mormon friends. There are. There's a lot of very successful Mormons in Vegas. Yeah. And of course, we're right next to each other, and I go out to Utah skiing or to see friends or to do shows
1: right Yeah. My parents live in St. George, Utah. So sometimes when I go down there to visit, my dad just died of COVID last year. Oh no! Yeah. So it's just my mom now. Yeah. How old was he? Well, he was seventy-four. They're both so they're both older and you know vulnerable, obviously. But um, seventy-four, not old. No, and you know it's another one of those things where he was fine. He that he died December thirtieth of 2020 and um we were all going to get together for thanksgiving and uh he they said you know the numbers are spiking let's not do it just to be safe let's not get together we'll see each other at christmas hopefully things die down by then so we skipped thanksgiving and two out two weeks later my mom caught it and she caught the really mild form with the Loss of you know smell and taste. Yeah, but my dad caught it from her and got it really bad, and he died two weeks after that. And so, we it, have any uh, underlying conditions? What's uh, he was diabetic. Right. So yeah, but and I. But diabetes isn't usually related to it. No, I'm sure. And it, if he had held on, you know, two more months, he would have got vaccinated. If he were to catch Omicron or one of the other variants, yeah, I yeah, don't I think, think it would have happened. But he, it caught we, him right at the going off,
5: We're going off piece with this, but they discovered a huge correlation with vitamin D uh, and really? off A friend of mine is a doctor. He, one of his fittest guys, he'd actually climbed Everest. Oh, wow. One of his fittest ER doctors died of it. And all they can suppose is that he worked nights for like 17 years and saw little or no daylight. Mm. So... And it's and it's just a lottery. But I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. I had it. I had it bad around that time too. Did you really? Um, eight weeks of, fifteen hours a day of, of exhaustion. Oh. But hopefully, we're now over the worst. I think. Yeah,
1: I think so. It's it, it, my understanding is it's becoming more um, contagious but less deadly. So it yes. is more now like a severe cold or flu. Anyway, the point of me saying that was that. I still go down to St. George to visit my mom now periodically. And we sometimes go to Vegas to hang out and all that kind of stuff. We love it down there. And you're right. The Mormon church is still really strong. There's lots of, you know, rich Mormons in Vegas.
5: I'd
1: love it. Yeah. I'd love that. Um, Okay. I I wanted to ask something I think is kind of interesting. We were talking earlier about how you sort of went from, you know, obscurity into, fronting asia yeah it's not you know the peak period of asia but it's still better than where you were playing in front of big groups big audiences what and then things kind of steep back down a little bit for everybody what was the thing that you love the most about being at the peak asia period is it better travel better food better drugs better groupies Hospital or uh, hotel rooms? What is it? And then what do you miss the most about those days? So, one,
5: it was such a steep curve. Uh, it was a game changer for me. I bet. So I was traveling to Japan, staying in first-class hotels, and, and, you know, getting comped everywhere you would go, go. Yeah. And know, meeting and touring with bands, you know, like Ian Gillan of Deep Purple, a huge oh, fan, wow. like coming in the dressing room saying, oh, I just saw your show and uh-huh. it was really good. And it, it, it was just a level, a level changer, you know, had gone from a pauper to a king, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, it was an incredible time. I, I've had an amazing life, you know?
4: Yeah. 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 I've
5: never, hardly ever worked a proper job day in my life. And you. even though some of this is extremely hard work. Yeah. I mean, I don't ever give up work. I don't ever go on vacation. No. I've had one vacation in 30 years. Yeah. So well,
1: you, uh, yeah. you brought a new dimension to that band that was different, but just as good. And so, one other question: I, I have I find people who who make prog rock really fascinating because my brain doesn't. I'm not a musician, but my brain doesn't work that way. My brain thinks about three minute catchy pop songs. Yeah. Were you always a prog guy? And so, working getting into Asia was a natural fit. Do you? Does your brain? Do you ever write three minute pop pop songs and think, oh, I'd love to record this, but Asia would never go for it."
5: Fine enough, the pro community. A lot of the pro community didn't take Asia very well.
1: Mm, that's true. Too commercial, probably. Um,
5: and because there was a pop sensibility, yeah. particularly between John Wetton and Jeff Downs. Yeah. You know, Heat of the Moment is a rock pop song, you know. Yeah. Um, and so were a, a lot of the songs. Yeah. You know, Don't Cry was very, very. And I came from more of a rock background. You know, I, I was a big fan of Rainbow and Dio. There you go. And, and Deep Purple. And I was more into that than I wasn't to say yes. Okay. So when I came along, I knew about the prog aspects of the band. And in some ways, I actually put more prog into it. Than
1: you did. That. Your albums are more or than their first albums yeah. are.
5: But I've always worked my prog the other way around. A lot of prog guys work from almost like a mathematical exercise. Order. We'll do four bars of 4-4, four, four, but then we'll go to 7-8 for 16 bars. And then we'll do 13 bars of such and such. And have these incredibly long musical sections. And then we'll put a little bit of singing in here and singing in there. Um, the prog I like, it's it's kind of early prog, it's like Genesis, okay, where there's still a huge song sensibility in there, and so all of our proggy stuff started with, you know, a three-minute tune, yeah, and then yeah. we fleshed it out either side of it, interesting, and got and got riffs like the day before the war or whatever, you know, yeah, uh, which is off arena. So, if there's not a song, there's nothing. There's nothing else around it. And, yeah. You know, i was looking at a documentary. I'm still halfway through the David Foster documentary on Netflix, which is fascinating.
1: Wait, which documentary?
5: David Foster.
1: Oh, gee, yes, I watched that recently too. I haven't watched it all yet,
5: but it's fascinating how song-driven that guy is. Yeah. And also, how it reminds me a little bit of my life that that. Everything in his life was in the background. And, and, you know, and he, a lot of his personal life suffered yeah. because of being in a dark room for, you know, three quarters of his life. It's true. And I'm in a, in a dark room now talking to you. <laughs> and I will be in a dark room for the rest of the day yeah. until two in the morning today. Oh, boy. So tomorrow um
1: but um we'll get some vitamin d yeah i get my vitamin d yeah john i just have always wondered what your story was i've just thought that what a fascinating guy that's got it there's got to be a story there and uh and there was i'm so grateful you talked to me thanks a lot my absolute pleasure all right there you have it john payne I just thought that would be so interesting. What an interesting life. I mean, I think we've explored so many different kind of angles or corners of the rock industry over these 7 years, but none are quite like John's. That story is a unique one, you know? You take over as the frontman for a supergroup and made up of people who have huge big careers outside of Asia. You're the new guy who has the kind of no offense, John, the smallest career. But then that band becomes yours, sporadically, here and there, over the next 30 years. And you're out there now celebrating that anniversary. Just interesting. These are stories you don't get anywhere else. I want to close it out with Turn It Around. This is off of the Arena album from 1996. This is probably my favorite album that John Payne um, worked on. So I want to close it out with that. Now, next week's guest... We're going, it's the middle of summer, but we're going to the Great White North for our guests next week, okay? It's a good one, I promise. Um, huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for doing this with me. Thank you, buddy. You guys can find our page on Facebook. You can like it and send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at The Hustle um, I don't, we may have a bonus episode this week. It's not likely. Um, but it could happen. We'll see. And then, um, but then next week, in fact, the next, we got good stuff folks lined up for like the next two months. Okay. Just sit back and enjoy. All right. Thanks everybody. We love you.